This podcast contains coarse language, dark humor, descriptions of violence, and opinions that will probably piss you off. Listener discretion is advised. Oh boy, we're here already. The 31st state to be admitted into the Union. The Golden State. A place where actors and musicians come to make their dreams a reality. In the north, there are redwoods. To the west is a gorgeous coastline. And in the south, there is a shitload of crime. This state is beautiful as far as scenery goes. Like Utah, they have a little bit of everything. Beaches, mountains, desert wasteland, crackheads, you name it. If you look away from Los Angeles and San Francisco and go out away from these cesspools they like to call cities, California really isn't that bad. What I have to say about their governor and the way he's running things could make a sailor blush, but thankfully he's ruling over an entirely different state, and there's a massive desert between us. I've been to California one time back in 2009. I went to Mayhem Festival with my dad in Marysville, which I think is close to Sacramento. We went for Slayer, Behemoth, and Cannibal Corpse, and it was fucking awesome, aside from the heat. (laughs) I don't know what kind of psychopath thinks that having an outdoor metal festival in a desert in July is a good idea. I am surprised I didn't die of heat stroke. I haven't gone back since. I actually purchased tickets to see Rammstein in LA in 2020, but due to the tour being postponed so many times, I had time to pull my head out of my ass and buy tickets in a better location. I initially thought that since it was the closest one, we could just drive down there, but goddamn, I am glad I spent those thousands of dollars to book a trip to San Antonio instead. You know, I just had a realization. Maybe the reason LA is such a shithole is because of the heat. I already proved that correlation in the Arizona episode. The 10 safest cities in California are places I've literally never heard of, probably small towns way out in the sticks. The Golden State had the 16th highest crime rate in the US in 2021. Surprisingly, California still has the death penalty. There is currently a governor-issued moratorium, however. The last execution in California took place in 2006, but the last death sentence handed down in California was in April of this year, 2023. As of January 2023, 671 people remain on death row here. If Newsom is so concerned about halting executions and being softer on crime, why are they still sentencing people to die? I don't get it. In the first six months of 2022, the city of Los Angeles had 181 homicides. That's one city in six months. Californians wonder why their state is a meme. Los Angeles has pretty much always had a violent crime epidemic. It's a large city. You can't really expect anything else. In the early morning hours of February 28, 1979, four men were driving around looking to make some money. They were smoking PCP-laced cigarettes, which as you probably know is the only way to have a good time. God damn, have you ever seen videos of people on PCP? Yeah, that's, that's gonna be a no for me, dog. Nothing good can come out of that. The group tried to rob a restaurant and a liquor store, but were unsuccessful. 
After this, they went to a 7-Eleven and encountered a 26-year-old night shift zombie named Albert Owens. Night shifts are fucking hard. I've been doing it for years, and I don't feel human anymore. This man, who was an army vet and a father of two, was outside sweeping the parking lot when this group of thugs showed up. One of the men, identified as Stanley Williams, was armed with a shotgun and led Owens to the back room of the store. Another member of the group raided the cash register and managed to get $120. Williams ordered his captive to get on his knees before shooting him twice in the back with a shotgun. Apparently, this was done to eliminate witnesses, but another member of the group later testified that Williams was laughing at the noises the young man made after being shot. Less than two weeks later, Williams and another accomplice would break down the door to the Brookhaven Hotel in L.A. I'm assuming they needed to make some money again. They shot the owners, Sai Shai Yang and Yen Yi Yang, as well as their daughter Yi Chen Lin, to death before taking $50 in cash and leaving. Stanley Williams is obviously a violent criminal, but his name might be familiar to some of you for another reason. In 1971, Williams and a man named Raymond Washington co-founded the Crips, one of the most notorious gangs in the U.S. I could spend an entire episode and probably more talking about gang violence, but that's not my job. I'm here to tell you about death penalty cases. Williams was convicted of four counts of murder in 1981, which landed him a death sentence. He was initially very disruptive during his stay in prison, later saying to an interviewer, I gave this place hell. While in solitary confinement, he began to change his attitude and outlook on life. He went from being a violent gangbanger to reading up on important things like philosophy, black history, and, you guessed it, the Bible. By 1992, he had become an entirely different man. He felt remorse for the violence that the Crips had caused across the U.S. and for the fact that one of his sons had been sucked into the gang life. He left solitary confinement two years later and declared himself a champion of peace. People can change, I'm living proof of that, but for some reason I'm kind of struggling to see it with this guy. Anyone can clean up their act in prison. It's the ones who do it on the outside when they don't have all the time in the world who actually impress me. Williams had his friend Barbara Becknell help him write several books in an attempt to keep young people away from the violent lifestyle that he helped create. He even brokered truces between gangs in L.A. and New Jersey. You know, maybe he was a changed man. He never admitted to his involvement in those murders, though. It was partly because of his refusal to admit his guilt that he was put to death. Stanley Tookie Williams was executed by lethal injection on December 13, 2005, after sitting on death row for 26 years. His execution was not easy. It took 12 minutes to find a vein in his arm. He was seen repeatedly lifting his head up and wincing in pain, and even appeared to say, Still can't find it? After they pronounced his death, several of his supporters turned to the journalists in the room and yelled, The state of California just executed an innocent man in unison. The execution of Stanley Williams pissed a lot of people off. Outside San Quentin, protesters shouted and cried, and one even burned an American flag. Barbara Becknell was the one who took possession of Stanley's body. She called the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, a cold-blooded murderer. Kind of ironic, don't you think? 
Schwarzenegger questioned just how sincere Williams was about his commitment to nonviolence. Is Williams' redemption complete and sincere, or is it just a hollow promise? Without an apology and atonement for these senseless and brutal killings, there can be no redemption. In this case, the one thing that would be the clearest indication of complete remorse and full redemption is the one thing Williams will not do. But his supporters vowed to prove his innocence. I'm really not sure how they intended to do that, as the state's evidence was solid. This isn't a Rodney Reed situation, not at all. And if you don't know who that is or why I'm mentioning him, stay tuned. There will be an episode all about his circumstances coming up pretty soon. Williams didn't offer any last words. His last meal consisted of oatmeal and milk. He refused to have anything special. Whenever someone mentions something about serial killers, I'm almost immediately drawn to California. A lot of the really famous ones stalk the streets of the Golden State. These include Ted Bundy, Ed Kemper, Richard Ramirez, and Joseph James D'Angelo, better known as the Golden State Killer. I guess California is ideal for committing disgusting acts. There are plenty of places to hide bodies, and plenty of bodies to hide. One that you may not have heard of, though, is a man named Daryl Keith Rich. He was another sick buck from the late 70s, early 80s that terrorized California. Rich was born on Valentine's Day, 1955, in California. He was adopted into a family that was headed by a domineering mother. Oh boy, here we go again. His mother's job was looking after other children, which pissed him off. He performed poorly in school and ended up being held back a grade. Because of this, he was sent to a psychologist who expressed concern that Rich would end up being violent in the future. No one listened, and Rich didn't receive any treatment. His parents divorced when he was 15, causing him to show suicidal tendencies. He moved from the south up to the north to be with his father, and it was here that he was suspended from school for fighting. When he was 17, he went out hunting after a fight with his girlfriend and made an attempt to end his life by shooting himself in the chest. In another incident, he shot over a police car to give them reason to shoot him back. Rich received a psychological evaluation and was determined to need immediate help, but he refused it. Over the following years, he got in trouble for road rage, DUI, and beating someone with a tire iron. Can we bring back asylums? Some people really fucking need them. This man's future crimes are a proof of that. Over the course of 12 days, Rich kidnapped and raped three people. The first was a 25-year-old woman in Redding, who he forced down a hill near a bridge and attempted to orally rape. She refused to comply, and he hit her in the head repeatedly before leaving her for dead. Thankfully, she survived, but her skull had been fractured. Six days after the first one, Rich forced a 21-year-old woman into his car and drove her to a remote area where he raped her. This woman survived because she told him she had a baby at home. This apparently hit a nerve, and he spared her life. He then went on to brag to his friends that attacking women was easy. The last woman to be attacked in this time frame was not a woman at all. She was a 14-year-old girl. She was abducted and raped, but Rich let her go. I already hate this guy, and we're not even into the murders yet. God damn. On July 4, 1978, which was less than two weeks after his initial attacks, Rich abducted two women at different times. 
The first one was a 19-year-old who was let go after he raped her. The second one wouldn't be so lucky. She was also 19. Her name was Annette Faye Edwards. She had been walking home from a fireworks display when Rich kidnapped her. He raped her and then crushed her skull. Her body was found about two miles away from her apartment down an embankment. Her cause of death was skull fractures inflicted by blunt force. This jackass didn't like to wait long between his crimes. Two weeks after this first murder, he kidnapped and raped a 15-year-old girl who had been riding her bike in Reading. Didn't kill her though, thank God. I can't help but wonder why he let some of them go, but killed others? Doesn't make any sense. On August 2nd, 1978, Rich carried out his second murder. This time on a 17-year-old girl named Patricia Ann Moore. He raped her and then killed her by smashing her skull and strangling her before leaving her in the dump. Her body was found two weeks later and her cause of death was found to be blunt force trauma. His third murder victim was a 27-year-old mother named Linda Diane Slavic. She was abducted from a bar and taken to the dump where she was shown Patricia's body. After this, Rich raped her and then shot her with a 22 caliber pistol while she begged for her life. He later boasted to his friends that her last words were, Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus Christ, this guy is a sick bastard. Linda had been shot twice. One bullet hit her in the neck, and the other one went through her mouth and severed her spinal column, which killed her instantly. His last victim would be the one to hang him, and I am very grateful for that. Rich made the dumb mistake of shitting where he ate. On August 13th, he abducted 11-year-old Annette Lynn Sellix while she was walking to the grocery store. Yeah, you heard me right. She was 11. Rich had done some work for Annette's mother in the past. After getting her into his car, he drove her to his house, raped her, and forced her to perform oral sex before he drove her to a bridge 30 miles away and threw her over the side. Her autopsy revealed that she had been alive when she was thrown off the bridge and had survived for a time on the rocks below. Can we put this motherfucker down already? Holy shit. Thankfully, Rich had been careless and attacked someone known to him. When the investigation started, he wasn't a person of interest. In fact, the only reason the cops wanted to talk to him at all was that he had done work for Annette's mother. They were just being diligent. Rich agreed to take a polygraph, which showed that he had been deceptive. Other information came out that Rich had shown one of his friends a body at the same dump where Patricia and Linda had been found. The police determined that he was lying when he denied being involved in the murders. Some of his friends were interviewed and they told police what Rich had said to them about the attacks. Rich's mother's house was searched and a murder weapon was found. He eventually confessed to all of his crimes. He was convicted on January 23, 1981 on three counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, four sexual assaults, and one attempted sexual assault. Two of those murder charges would get him death sentences. None of his family attended his clemency hearing, neither did his attorneys. The only people who spoke on his behalf were death penalty opponents. Cases like this make me wonder how some people can be entirely against capital punishment. He raped a child and threw her off a bridge while she was still alive, for fuck's sake. Why should he be allowed to live? 
The woman who he had spared because of her baby was there and had the victim's rights coordinator read her statement. She recounted in detail how the attack had shaped her life and her marriage, stating, We are never alone. Daryl Rich is always there between us. Daryl Keith Rich was executed on March 15, 2000. His execution took seven minutes. His last meal was nothing more than tea, broth, and Gatorade. He didn't want anything else. His last word was peace. Yeah, maybe now that you're dead, the families of the women you brutalize can have some peace, you fucking monster. I try to add some variety into my episodes to help break it up. All true crime fans have heard the stories of the late 70s serial killers who can't help but stick their dicks into their victims first. This next one is no different. Or is he? I talked about the Alaskan Ted Kaczynski, but have you heard of the Californian John Wayne Gacy? This one is a sick puppy. I am astounded that someone with this many victims has not gotten more coverage. I'd never even heard of him. Alice Bonin was the matriarch of a home in Downey, California. Her husband was staying in a veterans hospital, so she was left to care for their sons. The youngest boy, William George Bonin, was born on January 8, 1947. He lived with his domineering mother until he was eight years old. I'm sure you already know where this is going. I said the secret word. He ran away from home and was picked up in Connecticut and put into a detention center. Okay, maybe I'm missing some context, but how the fuck did an eight-year-old child get from California to Connecticut on his own? Years went by, and he was eventually sent back to live with his mother. She loved William, but noticed changes in him. That mother's intuition. We always know when something's up. But she didn't know just how bad it would be. When Bonin was military age, he was shipped off to Vietnam, where he spent more than 700 hours manning a machine gun. I'm no expert on military anything, but I'm pretty sure there's some kind of correlation between the Vietnam War and absolute mental fuckery in veterans. I don't mean any offense to anyone who served in that war. Much respect goes out to you. All I'm saying is that it was a mess, and it's no surprise to me that some of the people who made it back weren't quite right afterward. Shortly after Bonin came back from Vietnam, he was arrested and charged with sexually assaulting five young men. Can't help but wonder what kind of shit he got into while he was overseas. In the late 70s, Bonin's neighbors began to get suspicious of him. A man by the name of James Hunter, who lived on the next street over, recalled Bonin going after his son. Another woman who lived behind the Bonins remembered hearing horror movie noises coming from their house. She said she couldn't sleep very well that night. Bonin's raping and killing spree lasted a little over a year. He claimed to have 45 total victims, but he was only convicted on 10 of them. All were between the ages of 12 and 19. An accomplice of his, James Monroe, claimed to have killed 25 despite Bonin being the mastermind. The first victim met his end on August 5, 1979. His name was Marcus Grobs. The young man was a German student on a backpacking tour of the U.S. He was sodomized, beaten, and stabbed 77 times. His body was found next to a road in Malibu. Three weeks later, 15-year-old Donald Hayden was picked up in Los Angeles. Bonin and another accomplice, Vernon Butts, strangled and stabbed this young man. 
It appeared that attempts had been made to castrate him and slash his throat as well. Bonin and Butts. Goddamn, I shouldn't laugh, but the joke almost writes itself. They abducted 17-year-old David Murillo. His body was found on a Ventura off-ramp. His head had been bashed with a tire iron and he had been strangled. The next crime wouldn't take place until February 3rd of 1980. Bonin and yet another accomplice, Gregory Miley, picked up 15-year-old Charles Miranda and drove a few blocks away before Bonin sodomized him. They killed him by wrapping his own shirt around his neck and twisting it. Later this same day, they encountered 12-year-old James McCabe, who said he was on his way to Disneyland. The two men invited him into the van, and Bonin ended up raping him before beating him and strangling him to death. Six weeks later, Bonin picked up 19-year-old Ronald Gatlin, who was beaten, strangled, and stabbed with an ice pick. The next two victims would meet the same fate. Harry Todd Turner, 14, and Stephen Woods, 16, were both picked up by Bonin within the span of a month. He stuck to his usual routine, beating and strangling them to death. On April 29, 1980, 19-year-old Darren Lee Kendrick was lured into Bonin's van with the promise of drugs. This poor kid. In addition to all the fucked up things Bonin had done to his other victims, he had forced Darren to ingest chloral hydrate, which caused chemical burns all the way down into his stomach. He also had an ice pick through his right ear that went into his spinal cord. The next victim, 18-year-old Stephen J. Wells, was beaten and strangled with his shirt. Stephen would be the last one to meet his end by Bonin's hand, but he wasn't the last victim. Another accomplice named William Pugh was arrested on auto theft charges in 1980. Pugh claimed that he had accepted a ride home from a party with Bonin, who talked about killing young boys. The cops did the smart thing and immediately put Bonin under surveillance. On June 11th, they followed his van to Hollywood. He was seen talking to five different men on street corners before a 15-year-old boy named Harold got into his van. Bonin parked in an empty lot and forcibly performed oral sex on Harold. While in the process of full-on raping him, he was arrested. The police found some white nylon rope and three knives in the van. Apparently, during the same time as all these victims in the Los Angeles area, Bonin and two accomplices had also murdered four young men in Orange County. All of these men were hitchhikers who were strangled to death. Their names were Dennis Frank Fox, Russell Rue, Glenn Barker, and Lawrence Sharp. Bonin was convicted of these murders while on death row, and yeah, he obviously got the death sentence. No judge in their right mind would have given him anything less. Holy fucking shit, that one was rough. So many young lives taken by a depraved monster. I wish there was more information about who these boys were in life. I can assume one thing, though. They were all innocent souls. None of them deserved to meet their maker in such a brutal way. May their families have some peace, knowing the monster who took their sons is dead. William George Bonin was executed by lethal injection on February 23, 1996. He was the first inmate in California to be put down this way. His execution only took four minutes. Compare that to Joseph Wood's two-hour struggle to breathe, and you'll be wondering why we can't find an easier way to get the proper lethal injection drugs. The red tape does absolutely no good. I'm not opposed to the condemned suffering, but those who oppose the death penalty are, and getting the correct cocktail of sleep forever drugs would solve that problem. 
Bonin's last meal was two large pepperoni and sausage pizzas, three pints of coffee ice cream, and three six-packs of Coca-Cola. His last words were, that I feel the death penalty is not an answer to the problems at hand, that I feel it sends the wrong message to the youth of the country. Young people act as they see other people acting instead of as people tell them to act, and I would suggest that when a person has a thought of doing anything serious against the law, that before they did, they should go to a quiet place and think about it seriously. Okay, what the fuck? Really? John Wayne Gacy 2.0 wants to bitch about the death penalty and tell people to think about the consequences of committing crimes before they do it. I have no words. Really though, this dude even looks like Gacy. It's weird. History apparently repeats itself. I don't know if hell exists, but if it does, I hope it's an eternity of chemical burns and sodomy for this sick motherfucker. Two of the longest serving inmates on California's death row are Albert Lewis and his half-brother Anthony Oliver. Lewis had some anger toward his estranged wife and decided to take it out on her family. Her cousin Patronella Luke and her friend Eddie May Lee were both killed, and Patronella's husband was seriously wounded when Lewis and Oliver raided a church in LA in July of 1989. While Oliver was the one who actually fired the fatal shots, Lewis had stood guard outside and fired at a bystander. This was the end of a very rocky and abusive relationship between Lewis and his wife Cynthia. He had repeatedly threatened to kill her if she left him, even attacking her with a knife on more than one occasion. She finally had enough of his shit and left. She got a restraining order. Unfortunately for everyone involved, this order was served to Lewis the day after the murders. Cynthia and some other family members had fled to Las Vegas for their own safety just hours before Lewis and Oliver showed up to the church. I can't imagine the pain that Cynthia must feel about this whole thing. My heart goes out to her and her family. Lewis and Oliver were both sentenced to death for this tragedy. They've been sitting on death row since May of 1993. That's 30 years, and that doesn't include the time they served before getting their death sentences. The most recent California death sentence as of the time of writing was handed down on April 14, 2023. Desmond Stevenson and Robert Green were convicted of killing a convenience store clerk named Mitesh Patel after a robbery in 2016. Just minutes after this murder, they tried to rob a liquor store as well. These young men were 25 and 23 respectively. What a waste. Matesh had a three-year-old daughter and a wife who will have to continue on in life without him. All for a little bit of money. What a damned shame. I think I've had enough California for one episode. I feel like I need a shower after that one. If you enjoyed this episode, please go check out my other ones. Subscribe wherever you found me and leave a rating or review. I'm available on Rumble, as well as most places you can find podcasts. Just look for me, you'll find me eventually. You can get me on Instagram at lastmealpod. I post pictures of all the sick fucks in my episodes. Cursed is the man who dies, but the evil done by him survives. See you next time.